we've been doing an Advent series leading up to Christmas, um, and our, our goal and desire was to uh, talk about Jesus as uh, prophet, as priest, as king, and then next week we fall on a servant, basically man, like one of us, right? Um, and so uh, today you get king, and for that text, um, I want you to go to Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2. And some of you who are familiar with this text might be like, this, this, isn't, this isn't really a Christmas text. So. And I would agree, but it's a good text as far as Jesus is king, so we're, we're going to roll with it. Psalm chapter 2. The whole thing, it's, uh, it's 12 verses. Uh, we're not going to get crazy on it, so don't worry. Not, not going to take too long. We're going to do kind of a hot rod version, kind of a flyover um, exposition of it. Uh, Psalm chapter 2, verse 1 says, Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. And then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. And you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. And blessed are all those who take refuge in Him. Uh, again, this probably, I don't know if this is something you've ever heard on Christmas before. Um, it's a little heavy. Uh, there's like some, uh, there's some gnarly gnarly language in here. There's some gnarly imagery in here that one day will not be imagery, will be reality. I, I think a lot of times when we, when we think of Christmas, we, we, we do think of uh, the cute little uh, baby part, you know, human Jesus. Uh, and, and, and I think that when we, when we look at that which was, when we understand that which was actually born that day, uh, this is the reality of what was born that day. Um, it, it, he's not just gentle. He's not just meek. He's not just kind. He's, he's also a just ruler, a just ruler who has all power, all authority, and well judge <laughs> rightly on his throne. And uh, this is also what we were given that morning, um, whenever it was, probably wasn't December 25th, when God became flesh and dwelt among us. This this one that we, uh, that we read about here. Um, I don't know about you. I, did anyone used to watch Jay Leno? Um, we had to, because uh, when me and Carrie were married for years, we were just flat poor. So like, um, if, if, we, if we put up the antennas right and then the wind blew the right direction, that's the channel we would get. And so, like, at night, like, that, like, we didn't have a choice. Like, we would watch, you know, Jay Leno. And he used to do uh, the jaywalking, you know, stuff. I don't know if you remember that. So he'd basically go, like, Sunset Strip, like, Hollywood Boulevard or whatever. And he would just ask, like, basic, you know, questions about what came to mind 
when he would say such and such. And I can like, I, I, I can like, I kind of think of that when I think of like, if you were to, if you were to just ask somebody on the street, who came to mind, like, like to, to maybe form a list when he asked them of kings, who comes to mind when you say king? Um, you would probably get, you know, like, like, like King Arthur would probably be up there, Alexander the Great, maybe Charlemagne, like you'd, you'd probably have some of these characters. I, I, I would venture to guess that hardly any, like Jesus would make hardly anybody's list. Like probably wouldn't make anybody's list. Like, like you're, you're not probably likely to hear the name Jesus on a king list. Uh, he, and, 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 uh, be, and, and I think the reason is because our idea of a king is typically um, a very glamorized version. We have a very glam, and this is kind of where I'm going to go with this toward the end. You'll just have to wait till we get there. But we have this glamorized version. Now, me, when I think of king, listen, in a perfect world, okay, let me just qualify that. In a perfect world, um, I think first off, of course, one who rules over a people, rules over a nation, it's like, duh, yeah, that's, that's what a king is, right? It's one who uh, has power. It's one who has authority. Um, it speaks of one who has freedom to make decisions based on what he thinks appropriate or best or right. And, and, and because of this, it's one who should be feared and revered and submitted to. A king is the one who leads a people, guides a people, protects a people from opposition and outside threats. He is one who works in the people's best interest, even if they do not see it or understand it. Uh, it would be one who is dedicated to preserving and promoting the greatest good for the sake of the citizens of that kingdom. And in an ideal world, like all these descriptions would, in my opinion, be found to be true in a king. But in reality, they're not, because we don't live in an ideal world. Like, I, I'm sure you guys like know, are familiar with the actual um, historic record that we have of kings. It ain't, it ain't pretty, like, like it, 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 it ain't good. In fact, it's kind of, it's kind of abysmal, like, like both inside and outside our Bibles when it comes to the history of kings. In reality, the historic record that we have of kings is largely a record of oppression and tyranny and tragedy and slavery and failure and loss, ultimately leading to ruin. And, and yet we have these great fictional tales that we tell, right? That we teach to our kids and, and these legends and this lore that's in our movies and in our literature surrounding kings. There's like something appealing um, about um, glamorizing the king. And so we have like Camelot and Robin Hood and uh, Lion King and uh, like Lord of the Rings. You got Aragon and Cinderella and like it goes on and on and on in our pop culture, Right? Like these larger-than-life figures that we want to see and celebrate as heroes, um, all of which is a best-case glorified, romanticized fabrication of an ideal king and kingship. And all the ones that we have made up, even the ones I just mentioned, I think, at some level um, in those stories like saves or redeems a people. It's interesting. But again, if you look at actual world history concerning kings... It ain't great. And it ain't great because, one, all who have actually become kings have been sinful. And two, we all want a king on our terms because we're sinful. These are like the two two problems. For us as Americans, uh, the president of the United States would kind of be our equivalent, maybe, to a king. He would kind of be the equivalent. We refer to him as the commander-in-chief, right? Right? 
uh, meaning the one who's in charge. There's no one greater, there's no one bigger, there's no one more powerful over the kingdom nation that we have, that we call the United States. But how do we get him? How does he become king? We vote. We cast a vote. That person comes up through the ranks, whether it be education or networking or gifted communication or corrupt connections or all of the above, right? And then, and then he candidates. He, like, self-promotes. He grinds to convince you and I that if we vote for him, he'll make all of our wildest dreams come true. Vote for Pedro, right? He, he, he does his best to convince us, the people of the kingdom, as to why he's the right guy to lead us. And then we decide if he's blowing smoke or, or if we're going to buy it, right? And then, and then we vote according to what we like or don't like, want or don't want, and hope for the best. So it's, like kind, it's kind of like up in the air. Like, like he's not there because of lineage, right? Um, maybe unless his last name's Kennedy, um, like he, he's not there through genealogy. He's not there through bloodline. He's there through a vote. And we're left to a red or blue option uh, because objective thinking has become a lost art. And either option's just as corrupt and sinful. And uh, we got this finite human being who we're willing to force to whatever trust and follow. We call it democracy, right? And uh, in some ways, it's a nifty system, but it's a flawed one. It's a fouled one. All that to say, praise God, there is something else. There is something else. Praise God, there is someone else other than these options. So we're going to do like this quick flyover here, okay? Because this is really what Psalm 2 is letting you and I in on. Is that there's something better than the options that you and I think we're limited to. Verse 1, why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? It starts with a question, right? <laughs> like right here from the opening line, we, it, what we see is we have that outward expression, an outward human disposition of sin and rebellion. It's just what it is. That's the climate on earth. The nations, the nations rage and the people plot in vain. So there is conflict. There is enmity. There is war that's going on. Why? Verses 2 and 3. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, here we are, let us burst their bonds apart. It's, uh, it's whistling a little bit. Rich. Um, let, us, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. So, so why is this war here, this enmity here? Because they don't like the king that God has established over all kings and kingdoms. They, they do not want to be bound, bound, notice the words there, under God's supreme rule or his anointed king. Um, no, notice, by the way, that this makes, uh, in what's being said here, Jesus the king of kings. Like, we, we read that, we hear that, we see that throughout our scriptures. This is what it means, is that every king that's ever been, ever will be, or is now, has a king. There, there, there's a king, singular, that's over all kings, plural. And his name is Jesus, right? But, um, but what... what, what uh, the problem is here is that, is that people are not autonomous like they want to be, like they think they should be. 
And the inhabitants of the earth, they, they don't like this because they want to determine who's what and, and how to get it done. So we want to be free agents. This is our fundamental problem. We want free will to reign, not God's will to reign. Um, I don't know about you, like th- this is the story of my life. Like it's not rocket science, and I'm not a smart guy, but I, but I, know, I know this to be true. That, that, that that's the major problems that I had, not just with God and the idea of what my Bible was telling me, but my parents, like any authority that ever came into my life was, you can't tell me what to do. Like, this is my life. And I don't want to do that. I want to do this. I don't want to do it like that. I want to do it like this, right? Like, like it's that free will thing that I want to maintain. I don't want anybody to, to, um, uh, to, to invade my ability to be who I am and do what I want to do. And this is the reason why the nations rage. This is actually what Psalm 2 is telling us here. This isn't a David thing. This is a, this is a human problem. Our human problem is that we don't want somebody to bind us, right, to leash us to any of their standards or any of their ideals or any of their ways or they, their will. We want to be free to do what we want. So what do we try to do? We try to break the leash. We, we try to cut the cord, right? We try to drill through the bonds, so that we can be free again. And I always thought this was so bad. Like, this was the thing. I always looked at God like he was a tyrant. Because it's like, why do, why do you just want to be a killjoy and, like, ruin everything that I want to do? Like, how can you be good and do that? You know what I'm saying? And, and, and it wasn't, and, and I'm kind of getting ahead, but it wasn't until I get on the inside that I, that I see the beauty of it. You know what I mean? That, it, that actually freedom is actually in his binding of me. Right? the opposite that we think but th- this is where we start this is our default of sinful human beings coming into this world is a default of realizing that there's an ultimate authority and that we this is romans one right like this is this is why pe- people don't hate god or not believe in god because he's obscure and there's no evidence they hate him because they don't like what he says about himself and what he says about them that's why they hate him they hate the truth of what he reveals and what he holds us to. And so we go, well, I don't believe in you. I'm going to go do my thing anyway. This is, this is kind of a, a parallel to that, that same type of thing here. Right? So there's this conflict and there's this, in, the, this enmity that's coming out. And it's because God has bound them to something and they don't want to be uh, bound. Okay? So what we see right here in the first uh, three opening verses is the, reality, uh, the, the, uh, is, is, is the reality of the problem with not just the inhabitants of the kingdom, but the earthly kings of the kingdom. Why? Because sin reigns in us, and sin says, I'm going to do this my way. So verses 1 through 3 establishes that we hate the king, we hate the kingship of God in which he is appointed. Verses 4 through 9 establish that Jesus is a king, whether we like it or not. Whether we like it or not, Jesus is king. Four through six says this, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision and then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. God's determinate will in establishing a once for all king is settled. It simply is. It is settled. It's not up for debate. It's not up for challenge. It's not up for vote. It's a done deal, 
with Jesus. God's economy is not a democracy. His hand is not forced by the force of the rebellion coming out of the kings of the nations. In fact, what does he do? He laughs. It says that he, he laughs at their attempts. He laughs at their objection because it's not theirs to decide. And notice where the decision maker laughs from. He ain't in the Oval Office. He's in a place slightly more powerful. You know, I know some strong stuff's come out of our, our, our little round room. But, but stronger stuff comes out of this one. It, it ain't here. It's, it's high above. It's high above this place, right? Like, he sits on a throne. The imagery, the, the point is, he sits on a throne far over and far above the objectors. Far over and far above the objectors. This is the real commander-in-chief. And what has he decided? I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. So, so a, vo- a, a vote's been cast, and, and that vote counted. And that king is established, right? So without getting bogged down on this king that he has set on Zion, this is Jesus. This is Jesus, okay? And the only vote that matters has been cast and counted. It's done. So no, no voter fraud or anything like This is a legitimate nomination, right? Legitimate. And, and then he, he kind of like pulls back the covers here in Psalm 2, verses 7 through 9, to let us in on a bit of like how the conversation went down between the Father and the Son, the first and the second person of the Trinity. It's kind of funky when you're reading through Psalm 2 um, because you'll, you'll see the language change, like who's talking to who, and then someone else is talking to someone, and it's kind of, it's a little odd, but that's what's going on here, is he's kind of pulling back the curtain here, seven through nine, and it says, I will, I will tell the decree, the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you, ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession, and you will break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel, again, this is Jesus, this is Jesus we're talking about. And, and, and God appoints his anointed to office to exercise full power and authority and judgment in righteousness over all kingdoms. Okay? Again, um, just, just like he is the king of kings, king singular of kings, plural, um, there's the kingdom of God, singular, over all kingdoms, plural. Everywhere God is, everything God owns is his kingdom. Everywhere he's working, everywhere he's doing something to build it is his. It's all his, one, no matter where it's located on the map, okay? All this to say that no matter when you lived or where you lived or how you lived or why you lived, we all live under one king, even now. And, and, and I feel like we all need to hear this again because, like, really soon we're, elections are going to happen and you guys are all going to go into your crazy craziness again. You know what I mean? I say you because I never go crazy. Just you guys do. We're all going to get crazy again, right, looking at earthly kings and, oh, what's going to happen? Who's the power going to go to? What kind of legislation? We're all going to trip out again. One king all the time already established. We good? Amen? Amen. Okay. That's the way it is to this day. There is one. A a king has been, listen, listen. A king has been established whose term does not run out. It is eternal. A king has been established who cannot be impeached. A king has been established who cannot be overtaken or conquered by another king. 
A king has been established who cannot be killed or put to death, even though we've already tried that. A king has been established who cannot be bought off or corrupted. And because of all of this, are you ready? This is the king that we all need. This king is the king that we all need. Verses 10 through 12. Now therefore, O kings, be wise and be warned. O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. Jesus is the king we all need. Therefore, he starts off in in 10, which means as a result of everything I've previously said, right? That's what therefore is there for, right? Um, He says basically five things. Be wise, warned, serve, rejoice, kiss. These are pretty much the five things that come out out of this. And all of these things add up to ultimately giving your full allegiance to somebody. Giving your full allegiance to who? Well, it would be the son, our king, right? So wise, Wise means understand that which you've already heard. Understand that which you've just heard. There's a king of kings, and it ain't you. So, like, be wise, like, understand that. That's number one, right? Wise. Be warned, which means to submit, to, to, to like, stop rebelling and start repenting. Like, like, turn from where you're at. Because if you don't, and we all know this from looking at the language here and what's already been said, like, it ain't going to go well for you. If you do not turn, it will not go well for you. Here's the rad part, is that we're being warned. Like, like there, there's no reason why the shoe shouldn't just drop on people like you and I and these people here. God has every right to drop the hammer. And he doesn't. He warns instead. He allows a window of room to repentance, to, to coming from that wrong side of him to the right side of him. It's amazing that he even does that in his long patience and his suffering. He doesn't have to. It's a good king. So warn, right? If you don't, it ain't going to go well for you. Serve, serve. It ain't about you. It's about him. None of this here, I, I know, again, I, there's this thing about us that says, this is my life. My body, my choice, I could do whatever I want. No, no, it's his. All of it is his, whether you believe it or not or like it or not. He owns you. You live and breathe and do and enjoy everything that you have because he has allowed you to. It's all his. It's not about your kingdom, it's about his kingdom. It's not about your free will and your autonomy. It's about his will and ownership to the praise of his glory. All of it. He says then to rejoice. Why? Because King Jesus is the best king we could ever possibly imagine. He's the best king we could ever, ever hope for, hope to see in our lifetime or any other. Again, I didn't believe this for years, that he was good. I just thought he was a tyrant, a dictator who just, if I wanted to enjoy something, he was going to be sure to tell me I couldn't. That was my view of God for so many years. It wasn't until I became born again and he captured my heart that I got to the inside, underneath his kingship, that I saw the beauty 
of his kingship. What an amazing, not just father, but king, ruler that he is over us in our lives and our desires and what's good for us and what's not good. He, he is so good. He is only for our greatest good people. It's because of our sinfulness that we think he's not. He's right. We're wrong. And when you get inside, you can see only then that he's the best king that you could ever have that exists, imaginable, right? Rejoice because of this. Rejoice. And then, of course, kiss. Um, and that's what they did with royalty. Like, that's how you greeted royalty. If you came in front of a king, you knelt down, you got low, and usually you would kiss their hand. I mean, that, that just meant that, that they had your, your allegiance, that you were on board, that you were, you were honoring them, right, by greeting them with a kiss. But it also means come close to him. Come close to him. He is yours. He is yours. Love him, accept him, draw near to him, adore him. Why? Because he's drawn near to you. That's why. He is for you. He is with you. He is above you. He is before you. And he is behind you, never to leave you. And because this is true, blessed are all those who take refuge in him. It's the final verse. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. I want you to notice these people that hate him, that being contrasted with this final statement here. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. The, the ones who are taking refuge in the king are being blessed, not cursed, right? They're, they're being fulfilled, not disappointed. They're being established, not destroyed, right? Because he's a good king. You know, it's, it's interesting for all our rebellion towards kings and basically toward authority in general, like I've already said, um, and our desire for autonomy and free agency. It's funny how we still have like this innate desire um, to be led, don't we? We still, have, we still have this thing in us that wants to be led, to, to, to maybe have one, <laughs> a king. Um, and not just anyone, but one that's actually good, one that's actually uh, truly good and, and for justice and righteousness and, and us, someone who's for us. Like we want that. And, and, and when we can't find one, uh, which we can't, apart from Jesus, we create one, right? Like, like, like whether it's a professional a- athlete or a movie star or, or even criminals, have you seen these people? Like that will take these like celebrity criminals, these ladies and like, never mind. Um, it's not, it's weird. Um, or we'll do it with a president or we'll even do it with like a pastor. Like, like our problem people is not that we don't worship. Our problem is that we are worshipers, and we oftentimes worship that which doesn't deserve it. That's the problem. So, so we're looking to be led by something, and we will give our allegiance to something, right? Now, God is the only one worthy of our worship. We are created to worship him, but because of the fall, we worship anything and everything, if you put it in front of us, right? Ch- uh, Calvin, John Calvin said that our hearts are an idol factory, like, it's true. So, so our thing is that we don't worship enough. Our thing is that we worship all kinds of things that don't deserve our, our worship. And we want to be led, and so we will get behind something somewhere. We'll find a way to get behind someone and give ourselves to someone. And this is not a new thing. Um, Israel was the same way. Do you remember when uh, there was finally no more kings coming? And uh, God's like, I'm going to do something else, right? And they're like, no, you, we don't want you to do something else. Give us a king. They still wanted a king. They wanted a lesser thing. They needed to, to be led in their own earthly way at that time. And so God appeased them. 
And, and he, he gave him another king, and it was just more of the same. You know, like it, it, didn't, it, didn't, it didn't go well, right? They didn't have, have any interest in looking forward to what God had promised and was doing and appointing, but just wanted one that looked like the kings that everybody else had at the time. They wanted something right now, one who could crush their opponents right now, one who could prosper them as a nation right now. And so God did. He gave them the king that they asked for. And it, like I said, it was more of the same. It, it is in us to have someone near and, and present and physical to get behind and to have lead us. Um, we, we, we still kind of hear this here sometimes. Like, I, I, I know that if you call the door to your home, you know that we're kind of weirdos. We're kind of unicorns when it comes to our leadership structure. Like, the, we're, we're three dudes that together make up a decent pastor. Like, we believe that. We believe it's biblical that elders and pastors are synonymous. They're, they're not two different offices. They're one office with different titles different names. We believe that's clear. We also believe that there should be a plurality of those guys in every congregation. We get that from the letter to Titus. We get that from the letter to Timothy. Like, we believe these things. That's why we've come up. We didn't come up with the framework that we have because we thought it was rad and we wanted to be different. We actually believe it's biblical. That's why we do what we do. So you got three guys that are co-equals in every way, including uh, power. And even though you guys hear that, and you're hearing it again now, I don't know how many times I've had someone come up and nudge me and be like, yeah, but but like, we all know you're really the guy, right? No, no, I'm not. I'm I'm really not the guy. I'm really telling you how it works, right? Like, and, 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 and I'm really not not the guy because Brent and Chad are a lot alike, and I'm a weirdo. And so, like, you, when you hear, if you were a fly on the wall for some of our stuff, I get shot down all the time. And it's right. It's right. I'm really not the guy. But we do that because we want, we want to find this person that we can get behind. I remember being that, like that as a young Christian every time I would go into a church. I wanted to get as close to the pastor as I could. Like, I just wanted to, like, touch his garment. You know what I mean? Like, he was the, he was the dude. You know what I mean? We, and we all look for, like, this, this proverbial savior. It's, it's like in us to do this, right? It's in us. And I want you to know, and Psalm 2 wants you to know, that we have one. We have one, right? It's not me. It's not Brent. It's not Chad. It's not Alex Jones. It's not whoever your next candidate's going to be right? It's not Elon Musk. It, it, it ain't the, the president of the United States. It's like King Jesus. King Jesus is the one we all desire and the one that we all need. We have a king who transcends every king that we've ever had in every single way. The challenge is like I've already said, number one, we're a sinful people, right? But number two, and this is where I want to end, he didn't look like one when he came. He did not look like one. Which is why he doesn't make many people's lists if you were to just ask somebody, who do you think of when you think of king? He did not look like one when he was born. He did not look like one when he was grown. He did not live like one. He did not talk like one. He did not pick his friends like one. He, he didn't even flex like one. And like, trust me, like Jesus could outflex anybody, right? We all know that. Like, he could have looked at anybody at any point and done, like, Jedi mind trick, and that was it, right? He could, he could have called 10,000 angels, and he didn't. He didn't. He did not flex like one. He did not resemble any of the qualities or characteristics of royalty, which is why when he came, Israel was like, what the heck is this? 
You know what I mean? Like, what is this? Like, he, like you said you were going to do this thing, and like, this, dude can't, this guy can't do this thing. He's not doing this thing. In fact, he's not doing anything that resembles this thing that we want done, which was they wanted their, their, their nation right then, at that time, physically restored to greatness. And he wasn't doing it. And he didn't look like any kind of royalty. He didn't look like anything they had ever seen before, right? Everything about Jesus when he came seemed wrong. It seemed wrong. Everything about him seemed off in regards to their expectations of what a king should look like and be. So they were out. They got off the bus. And and they got off the bus by taking him out. That's how it worked. Which, according to Acts 4.28, played directly into his master plan. That was foreordained as well. He's always a step ahead, right? See, Jesus may not be the king that we all wanted, but he's the king we all needed. He's the king we all needed. He's the king they needed. He's the king we need even still. And when we, by the grace of God, come to need him, it is then that we know he's the king we always wanted. While on earth, he may not have looked like one, but I just want to share a couple ways um, that made him the, the most awesome king that this world has ever seen. Number one, most kings are born into privilege. You know what I'm saying? Like they're, they're born into privilege. They, have, they, they are born with maids and servants already tending to them and grooming them and changing them and educating them and, and pampering them, right? Like Jesus, like born with a poor mom who was already accused of scandal because she's pregnant outside of wedlock, right? And a dad who's trying to figure out how to put food on the table. Like that, that's who he was born in. Like he was born... To, to these two in a place where animals are born, you know? Which brings us to number two. Like, most kings are born in a palace, you know what I mean? That doesn't suck, uh, that doesn't lack, that, 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 that possesses all the amenities and luxuries and possibilities imaginable already to that heir, right? Jesus, born in a barn. Born in a barn, sharing space with the livestock. No doctors, no, care, no caregivers, no birthing experts, right? Or servants to, to care for his immediate needs. Furthermore, as Jesus grew into an adult and went into ministry, the scriptures tell us he had no place to lay his head. Jesus was homeless. Which didn't look successful and didn't look responsible by worldly standards. Kings don't do that. Number three. Most kings hang out and associate with other royalty or celebrity or high society, like power figures, right? Jesus, he came onto the scene and went to the opposite. That's why this room is full. That's like, I'm sorry, like, that's just true. This is why we're here, right? He, he, He went to the opposite. He came onto the scene and he's like, give me the commoner. Where's the commoner? right? Where's the marginalized? Where's the underdog? Where's the loser and the screw-up and the ostracized? Like, like, give me the people nobody else wants to hang out with. Those are my people. He was a king of the people. You and I, right? This was his company. Number four, most kings appease the populace with their speech and their words, right? Their, their, motive, their promotions, their propaganda, what they say and, and how they say it. Jesus, he threw a grenade into the middle of all of it. Just all of it. He just pulled the plug and just tossed it every single time he opened his mouth. You know what I mean? Like he said things you shouldn't say. He taught things you shouldn't teach. He communicated things that would ultimately get him killed, but did so because it was true. It was true. 
He was more interested in telling truth than playing the game of royalty. Right? Number five, most kings rebel against others' kings. They're fighters. They're threateners. You know what I mean? They, they feud against outside authority and opposition. They, they wage war to maintain their power and autonomy. And, and, and they live and they breathe to show and exercise their power and authority against all who dare to take it. Jesus, though he possessed the power to defy and level the political, religious, and governmental power structure that he was subject to, he did not. That sounds weird. He did not. He subjected himself to that which was established, even in all of its imperfection, even though he could have done much better and put them all in their place and got things running fine. He didn't. He subjected them. He submitted to their superficial power, allowing the law to stand, which ultimately resulted in his arrest, trial, crucifixion. Right? Which brings us to number six. With most kings, their people die for them. Right? Their people die for them. But Jesus died for his people. That's the kind of king we have. He died for his people. This is why, brothers and sisters, Christmas matters infinitely to the Christian. Right? Because the gospel starts here. The gospel starts at the incarnation You can't separate the incarnation from the cross. You cannot separate it from the resurrection. You cannot separate it from the ascension. All of this together, all of these pieces together is the gospel, which is why Christmas is so glorious to us, right? And he was king in and through all of it. And this is the beauty and the amazement for all who are being saved by it. What's that song? Amazing amazing love, how can it be? You my king, would die for me, right? This time of the year, we celebrate the birth of our king, but it's something to celebrate, not because he was simply born, but because of what would come next, because of what he would do afterward, because of what he was born to do. That's what's so amazing about it. And this is why and how he changed the entire world. This is why Christmas is so awesome. Um, To those who have no faith, Jesus looked straight up like a failure. He looked like a failure, a fraud, someone that would be, uh, that it would be stupid to get behind and bank everything on. And I get it. You know what I mean? I get it. Like, think, think for a minute, like, if you were at the crucifixion, if you were one of those people there that day, right, and you're watching from a distance, and you're seeing this guy who was supposed to be your, your king and your savior to your nation to restore you again to greatness, all these promises made. And, and, and he's, he's bloody, he's beaten, he's got nothing left in the tank. Like he, he's on the cross and it's done. Like it's over with. And then you let your eyes drift above his head and you read a sign that's nailed there. What does that sign say? King of the Jews. Now, they didn't mean that as a compliment. They didn't mean that as a power statement or an absolute fact. That was a mockery. The Roman soldiers nailed that there because that's who the Jews said that was going to be. And now here he is, done, defeated, with a sign hanging over him that says, King of the Jews. They meant it as a mockery, but you and I, he meant it as a mockery back because it's a true statement. (laughs) 
They played right into his hand, and what he did that day changed the world forever. You know why? Because he's a king of kings. It really was him. It just didn't look like one. And I pray that you know him and that you enjoy the knowledge of this. Be amazed by it yet again this Christmas season. And now we're going to go ahead and take communion, which is the same thing. The only reason we do this is because of the king dying for his people.